Hi, this is Father Don Planty, pastor of St. Charles Borromeo Catholic Church in Arlington, Virginia. Welcome to the St. Charles Church Talks podcast. Good evening, everyone. Last Saturday, on October 1st, the Universal Church celebrated the feast of St. Therese of the Child Jesus and of the Holy Face, otherwise known as St. Therese of Lisieux. I have a great devotion to this saint, and I'd like to share some reflections with you this evening on lessons we can learn from her life. Uh, great devotion to her, which came to me actually later in life, uh, even since I became a priest, even though I first read more deeply about her as a seminarian, I didn't grow to appreciate her until later in life, although I was born on her feast day, uh, although I was not born on October 1st, but her feast day is October 1st. That is a clue to tell you how old I am because when I was born in 1966, her feast was on October 3rd. And with the reform of the Roman calendar in the late 60s, early 70s, her feast was moved from October 3rd to October 1st. So I was born on her feast day, even though it's no longer her feast day. She actually died on the evening of, uh, of September 30th. She's somewhat of a misunderstood saint, I think. Uh, the pious uh, images of her and the pious understandings of her sort of kind of saccharine images of this sweet little French girl who loved roses and roses and asked for a rose and isn't she sweet? And is, But the truth about St. Therese is much more profound than that. She had profound faith. She had iron hope, ironclad hope, and she had the deepest love. She was a young woman with a will of steel, and she is a spiritual giant, which is why she's also uh, been proclaimed a doctor of the universal church, which reminds me, I was also blessed when I was studying in Rome on the centenary of her death in 1997 to be present when St. John Paul II proclaimed her a doctor of the church. She was a young woman of great passion, and one of the words that recurs in her writings in her life is simply the word, all and the word everything, which also recurs a lot in the life of our Lord. She had a great passion for embracing all that was beautiful, all that was holy, all that was good, all about the Lord. I'd like to share with you uh, some lessons from her life, specifically six lessons from the life of St. Therese. And the first lesson, at the risk of sounding kind of self-serving or of uh, self-inflating or of tooting my own horn. This doesn't really go for me, it goes for other guys. But uh, lesson number one from the life of St. Therese is never underestimate the good influence and the practical down-to-earth good advice of a good parish priest. Why? Well, St. Therese was born into a devoted middle-class family. Her, her parents, of course, since have also been canonized, Louis and Zélie Martin. Louis was a watchmaker from an upper middle class family in northern France in the Normandy region, and he sought to be a priest, but he was rejected by the seminary. And her mother, Zélie, I forget her, Guérin, Guérin was her maiden name, Zélie Guérin, also sought to join the religious life, but she was rejected by the convent. So somehow the two of them found each other, and they were both very pious, and they respected each other's great piety, and so they were married, right? However, Louis and Zélie, after they were married, they decided to have what is called a Josephite marriage, which is a marriage free from, uh, the, let's just say they decided not to consummate the marriage, right? Um, and a parish priest, I don't 
frankly know if we know his name or who he was or where it was, but a parish priest told him, Louis, Zaylie, you have misunderstood the nature of marriage and one of the fundamental ends of marriage, which is, remember the first commandment in the Bible is be fruitful and multiply. You need to consummate your marriage and for the greater glory of God, have children to grow the church and to serve the Lord. And so Louis and Zaylie did consummate their marriage. As a matter of fact, they ended up having nine children. A number of them, the, the boys, four boys were, were born, were either stillborn or died in infancy, sadly. But of their nine children, five went on to become religious women, nuns. And of course, one of them is Saint Therese of the Child Jesus and the Holy Face. So lesson number one, never underestimate the good, practical, concrete, down-to-earth advice of a good parish priest. If the priest hadn't told them to consummate the marriage, we wouldn't have Saint Therese today, right? Poor Saint Therese, though, was four years old when her mother died, and her older sister, Pauline, basically adopted her and sort of stepped in as, as uh, her, as it were, surrogate mother. Lesson number two from the life of Saint Therese. We need to move beyond our childhood passions and become adults with strong wills, right? Children follow their appetites and follow their passions. Adults use their will to govern their passions. St. Therese, in her spiritual journal, in the story of a soul, as it's called, or her autobiographical manuscripts, which are the unredacted story of her soul, which I recommend to your spiritual reading, and I'll talk more about that a little later. She writes about how when she was a child, she was really hypersensitive. She was peevish, she was vain, she was self-absorbed. She really, her reactions were emotional and very fast to things that happened to her. Uh, and, uh, but, but that was also part of her passionate nature, right? She was very emotional, very passionate. She felt things very deeply. She talks about being a child and playing with toys with her sisters. And uh, one of the sisters got out the box with toys and, and uh, each one was supposed to choose a toy to play with. I think it was her older sister got out the box of toys. And so the, here's the box and they said, Therese, which toy do you choose? And she famously said, je choisis tout. Like I choose all, I choose it all. Like I choose everything, I want all the toys, right? She was, she was really impetuous and really, really passionate, uh, but, in, but also in many ways kind of self-absorbed. But she also writes about her greatest conversion of her life which took place on Christmas Eve in 1886 when she was only 13 years old. The story is they came back from Christmas Eve mass and the tradition was that the family would open a present on Christmas Eve, but that was especially sort of an indulgence that was given to the youngest children so they could like open, open a gift because they were anxious to open presents. You, you, you guys know nothing about that, right? Um, we all grew up with that, right? Can't, can't wait to open the Christmas gifts. Right? So they get back from mass and Therese is going up the staircase and kind of like taking off her hat and, and getting ready to take off her coat. And her father kind of sits down in the living room, uh, it's a small house, and says uh, to the older sister, well, thank God this is the last year we're doing this. You know, let, let's indulge Therese's fancy, but this will be the last time we do this. I'm getting tired of these childhood things. And St. Therese hears that and freezes in her steps. And her sister, who's also the other sister, is walking up the steps with her, freezes with her and thinks, oh no, Therese is gonna have a childhood, childish meltdown as she's want to have because she's so hypersensitive and so self-absorbed. And she heard daddy you know, saying, this is the last time we're gonna do this little childish thing. And she stopped and she turned around and she ran down the stairs to her father and hugged him and kissed him. 
And this is how she describes her great Christmas conversion at 13. It was December 25th, 1886, that I received the grace of leaving my childhood, in a word, the grace of my complete conversion. I felt charity enter into my soul, the need to forget myself and please others. Since then, I've been happy. Since this blessed night, I was not defeated in any battle, but instead I went from victory to victory and began, so to speak, to run a giant's course. What was it that made her a spiritual giant? What was the subject of her great conversion? As she says, leaving behind her childhood, the need to forget herself and to please others. Charity, divine love, that is selfless love, entered her soul. Lesson number two from the life of St. Therese, children, are carried away by their passions. True Christian adults, mature Christians, are governed by charity and by strength of will. Lesson number three from the life of St. Therese is the grace of perseverance. Since she was a child, as I said, she was orphaned. I mean, her father, who she adored, lived on, but her mother died when she was four. So her older sister, Pauline, basically took over as her surrogate mother. But Pauline discerned a vocation to the Carmelite monastery, the Carmelite order, which, of course, was strict pontifical enclosure, a strict monastery. And when Pauline entered the, entered the convent, it really broke St. Therese's heart, in a sense, because she lost her second mother, as it were. But since she was a, a child, and since Pauline entered, but also because of her great devotion and because there was a Carmel, there was a Carmelite monastery in Lisieux, St. Therese had a great love for the Carmelites, and she herself, at a very young age, discerned a vocation to the Carmelite religious life. The zeal, the zeal, the, the motto of the Carmelite order comes from the first book of Kings and the story of Elijah, to whom they trace their spiritual fatherhood. And that is, the, the motto of the Carmelite order is, Zelo zelatusum prodomino deu exercitum. With zeal I have been zealous for the Lord, the God of armies. This is after Elijah challenges the prophets of Baal, and it's clear that Elijah is called upon the true God, whose fire consumes the sacrifice. And he says, all right, slit the throats of the 450 prophets of Baal. And then the evil, wicked queen Jezebel is out to kill Elijah for killing the prophets because she's following the false prophets, and he flees into the wilderness. And the Lord asks him, Elijah, why are you here? Why, what are you doing here? Why have you come? And Elijah responds, with zeal, I have been zealous for the Lord, the God of armies. And that's the motto of the Carmelite order. And it applies in a specific way to the life of St. Therese and to her great, zealous virtue of perseverance because she persevered in seeking to embrace that great monastic life. And we realize joining the Carmelites in those days meant, as it still does for true strict Carmelite order, is you enter a monastery and you live pretty much barefoot and vegetarian for the rest of your life, no heat, right? And, and devoted to prayer and sacrifice. And the two, the two charisms of the Carmelite order is they pray for the conversion of sinners, pray and sacrifice for the conversion of sinners, and pray and sacrifice for priests. And St. Therese loved the outdoors. She loved playing and running through the fields and loved nature. She describes in her, in her autobiography loving going fishing with her father, and her father would be fishing, and she'd be, she'd be running through the fields and picking flowers, and she loved the outdoors. And at the age of 16, 
she shuts herself into the monastery, never to leave the walls again. Now again, the Carmel, in the Carmel, the Carmelite nuns sacrifice and pray, vegetarian, barefoot, for sinners and for priests. She desired to enter the monastery at the age of 15, but needed the dispensation of the bishop to do so. The bishop would not grant the dispensation, even as much as she wanted to. So she tells the story about her parish, well, her diocese, the diocese in honor of the Jubilee of Pope Leo XIII, her diocese made a pilgrimage to Rome which she describes in really fascinating ways and funny, all the shenanigans she and her sisters get into. They go to, they tour the Colosseum, for example, and, and uh, they're all kind of standing out there looking at the ruins of the Colosseum. But she's like, man, this is the place of the martyrs. I wanna, I wanna go down there where the martyrs were. So she crawls in through the ruins and she's running around through the ruins and everything. She's just very exuberant. Um, in any event, they get to the audience with the Pope. And in those days, you know, when you had an audience with the Pope, you went up to the Pope, you kissed his foot first, and then you kissed the ring and you did not address the Pope, you did not speak the Pope and to the Pope, and you certainly didn't speak to him unless you were spoken to. And Therese is like online, because there's all the pilgrims, and each the, the bishop introduces the whole group. The bishop is leading the pilgrimage. The bishop is standing behind the Pope, so he's introducing the Pope to who's coming up as they're coming up in, in line. And St. Therese is online. She says to her sister, should I ask him, should I ask him? The sister's like, go for it, go for it, should I ask him? So St. So Therese you know, kneels down in front of the Holy Father, and the Holy Father gives the blessing. She says, Holy Father, I'd like, to ent I'd like your, your permission to enter the Carmel at the age of 15. And the Pope turns around to the bishop because he doesn't quite get her French, uh, although he did speak some French. And the, and the Pope says, what's that? And the bishop looks down at her and he's like, and he says to the Holy Father, not helping her cause, she's a child who wants to enter the Carmel holiness. And the, whole, the Pope looks down and says, ah, my child, you will enter if the Lord wills. And St. Therese persists, and she puts her hands on his knees and says, oh, but your holiness, if only you say the word, everyone will agree. And again, he looks down at her with a very paternal, very smiling way and says, it will happen if it's God's will. And the gendarmes, the papal guards, have to come up and like pull her off of the Pope's, she describes this in her, pull her off of the Pope's knees. And the bishop was not amused, right? but this is part of her zeal and her perseverance. She wanted to enter the Carmel. She was willing even to ask the Pope and break all the rules. Uh, eventually she was given permission to enter early. She did enter at the age of 16. And as I say, she died there at the age of 24, right? Having given everything for the Lord. She's part of uh, what we can refer to as the 24 club. There's a whole bunch of saints that died at the age of 24, right? St. Therese, St. Aloysius Gonzaga, um, I want to say St. Margaret Mary, but I'm not sure. Blessed Pierre Giorgio Frassati. There's a whole bunch of saints that died at the age of 24, the 24 club. Anyway, lesson number three from, from the life of St. Therese, perseverance with zeal to do God's will, right? Lesson number four from the life of St. Therese, the virtue of faith, her deep, profound faith. And faith, the virtue of faith, of course, which is a God-given grace, it's a God-given gift, requires humility, right? And ultimately, it requires deferring to God in obedience. Ultimately, faith is in obedience. The Second Vatican Council defines the virtue of faith as the obedient submission of will and intellect to revelation. In other words, God reveals himself, and since we cannot in our finite, limited humanity exhaust all that God is and comprehend him perfectly, we decide to, with our will and our intellect, to say, I believe, Lord, I cannot perfectly exhaust and comprehend all you are, but based on your revelation of yourself to me, 
I believe, I obey, I submit, I give myself to you, and I follow you. St. Therese's life is a life of profound faith, requiring that humility of deferring in obedience to God and his will. Consider that this young woman, this girl, full of zeal for the Lord, desiring to give her life completely in service to the Lord, doing everything she can to enter the, the religious life, the monastic life, as soon as possible, enters at the age of 16, gives her whole life to the Lord, is shut up in these four walls, she who loved to run and play in the, in the fields and in the woods. And how is she rewarded by the Lord? By dying at the age of 24 from an excruciatingly painful death. Right? The last year of her life was a year of great physical suffering to the point where she says in her last conversations, I never realized it was possible to suffer so much. And I recommend those, especially to your spiritual reading. The story of a soul, which is basically your autobiography, but also her last conversations, which are snippets and conversations that were recorded that she had with the other nuns throughout the last year of her life. But during the last year of her life, not only was she slowly dying and being consumed by consumption by tuberculosis, for which there was no cure in those days. This is 19, it, 1897 she died, but in the last year of her life, she underwent a profound trial of faith. That is the dark night of the soul. Throughout the last year of her life, she had no sense of the consolation or the presence of God whatsoever, but she persevered in making acts of faith in saying, I believe Lord, help my unbelief. No consolations, no warm fuzzies, no sense of the presence of God. And she writes about being tempted not to believe and her great sympathy and love for atheists and how she would sacrifice and fast and pray, especially for the conversion of unbelievers, because she understood what they would go through because she herself was so tempted not to believe because of the lack of any consolation whatsoever. So at the same time, she's undergoing this excruciatingly painful physical trial and suffering She's undergoing this spiritual suffering of having no sense of the presence of God or any consolation in her life. No miraculous appearances, no miraculous words, no, uh, no great manifestations of his presence. But she continued to obey, to follow the rule of the Carmel, and to give her life completely to him in obedience and in humility. That is faith. In believing in God as he reveals himself, despite what you might feel or despite what you might be experiencing, right? Lesson number four, the faith of St. Therese, the faith that we are called to embrace, which requires great humility and deferring to God and his revelation in obedience, despite what we feel. Lesson number five from the life of St. Therese, pray for the virtue of hope and keep the eyes of your heart fixed on Jesus. What are you lacking? Hope, again, one of the great theological virtues, one of the three greatest gifts of God, is a hallmark of the life of St. Therese. She had great hope always in the Lord. And hope is that theological virtue by which we trust confidently in the promises that God has made to us, and we also trust confidently that he gives us the means to attain those promises. The two main promises that he makes to us, of course, being that he is with us by grace in this life, and we he calls us to be happy with him forever in the next life, right? He promises, other, so hope is 
trusting in those promises that he is with us here and we can be with him forever in heaven and trusting at the same time he gives us the means, all that we need spiritually to live up to those promises, to attain those promises. And again, she suffered a lot in her life, but still persevered in that confident trust in God. One particular example of a great trial was the trial of her father's dementia. She referred to her father as mon roi, my king. Of course, after her mother died, it was her older sister and her beloved father who took care of her. And he was her king and she was his, his youngest and his joy. Uh, but after the five sisters entered religious life, the father suffered from dementia sadly, and he was alone, but he would get disoriented, he would go for walks, he would disappear for a couple of days because he would get lost. And the kind of the gossiping mean townspeople started talking and gossiping and saying, it's because all of his daughters abandoned him and entered the, the convent and no one stayed behind to take care of him that he's lost his mind and it's their fault. Now they're all shut up in the monastery, but still there are visiting times and stuff and they hear through the grapevine that people are talking and blaming the sisters for their father's dementia, for their father losing his mind. He ended up being in a sanitarium uh, for a number of years in Caen up in Normandy in Northern, in northern France. Um, didn't die in, this, in the sanitarium, thank God. But uh, that was a great trial for her and for her sisters. And to have to trust in God that she had done the right thing and her sisters had really followed the right vocation and still honored and were good to their father despite the fact that he was suffering and people were saying that they were the cause of his suffering. She would say and write repeatedly, it is confidence and nothing but confidence that leads us to love. Rien que la confiance, nothing but confidence. It is confidence and nothing but confidence that leads us to love. That confident trust that God is with us, that he gives us what we need to always be one with him and to make it to heaven with him. And that's why as she's dying, she ultimately says that great line, tout est grâce, all is grace. In the last conversations of St. Therese, this story is told where one of the nuns is talking to her and she says, Therese, what would happen if you died and the priest wasn't able to make it in time in order to give you the last sacraments? And St. Therese says, well, of course, having the last sacraments is a good thing. But she says, but in the end, qu'est-ce que cela fait? Tout est grâce. In the end, what does it matter? All is grace. Everything she had received, everything she was living was a grace. That confident trust that God was with her and that she would attain the promise of heaven. It calls to mind one of my favorite lines from sacred scripture, Luke 15, 31, the father says to the older brother of the prodigal son, son, you are always with me and all I have is yours. That's what the father says to every one of us. You are always with me and all I have is yours. Hope is that virtue of confident trust that we are always with God. That is that he is always with us and all he has is ours. What are we lacking? That was lesson number five, the virtue of hope in the life of St. Therese, the virtue of hope in our lives. And finally, lesson number six, of course, love, the greatest of all gifts, the greatest of the theological virtues. That is the virtue of charity, by which we love God for himself because he is God and love others for the love of God. And St. Therese teaching us something that each of us needs to relearn every day 
because we're human persons with a fallen human nature, but especially that this current world and society that we live in does not understand at all and that we need to live and witness to and speak out to continually. And that is the true nature of love. What constitutes true love? Love is not an emotion. Love is an act of the will. We choose to love by doing loving things. We prove we are loving by following the commandments, despite what we feel, right? Love is not an emotion. Love is not a passion. Love is not a cheap sentiment. Love is not a feeling. Love is an act of the will. Love is a choice, okay? The choice to love God and love neighbor by following the commandments. Love is not love, like the rainbow posters say. No, that is not genuine and true love. Love is not a passion, it's an act of the will. And St. Therese makes it very clear that her vocation is, as she discerned, she thought the greatest vocation. She was tempted, she wanted to be a missionary, she would have loved to have been a priest, she said, she wanted to be a missionary in the Far East and do glorious things for God, and she realized ultimately that her vocation was not to be an apostle and not to be a teacher, not to be a priest. Her vocation was to be love in the heart of the church by offering up acts of love every little single thing she did for love of God and love of neighbor. And this is her little way, right? This is the little way of St. Therese. Not doing great things for God, but little things out of great love. Every single act, every thought, every word, every choice out of love. That is charity, that's true love. She gives one concrete example of a nun that was driving her crazy because they would pray the rosary together in the chapel at a certain time. And this nun would pray the rosary, she'd make a lot of noise. You know the people that come, you know, ever go to the chapel and someone's got the rosary and they're like, clank, 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 clank. You just wanna pray quietly, right? And someone's gotta do the messy rosary thing, the noisy rosary thing, and they're like kneeling and it's like clanking in front of the pew in front of them or whatever. It was driving St. Therese crazy. And she, she was tempted to have a lack of charity and about this nun because this nun was driving her crazy. Um, you know, nuns are not exempt from being tempted to, to all kinds of things, including a lack of charity, right? But she writes about this nun driving her crazy, making all this noise with the rosary and also saying her prayers out loud of the rosary too much when she's supposed to be saying them quietly. And uh, St. Therese said, I just transformed that into love and I loved her. And I imagined the sound of the rosary being the most beautiful music in honor of the Lord. She took that temptation to be uncharitable in her thoughts toward that nun and turned it into love. She might have been justified in her feeling that that nun was not being, you know, respectful of others by making the noise she was making. But love is not an emotion. Love is an act of the will. We choose to love by doing loving things, saying loving things, thinking loving things for others, oftentimes despite what we feel. So to review, six lessons from the life of the great Saint Therese of the child Jesus and of the Holy Face, doctor of the church. Lesson number one, never underestimate the good influence of the practical advice of a good parish priest. Lesson number two, children are carried away by their passions, adults use the strength of will to choose what is right. Lesson number three, the virtue of perseverance in the holy life and to do the will of God, especially in one's vocation. Lesson number four, the humility and the obedience of faith. Lesson number five, the confident trust of the virtue of hope 
Lesson number six, love is not an emotion, but an act of the will and can be done in the smallest of ways. My friends, the saints help us. The saints are important for us in three ways. We learn from their teaching, right? Most of the saints wrote something, if not a lot of things, you know, like St. St. Thomas Aquinas or St. Augustine, it's like libraries full, right? St. Therese's complete works, I've got them, are about this big, so you can put them all in one volume, right? St. Therese's complete works, but she is a doctor of the church because of her profound understanding of the theology of the spiritual life and of love. So I especially recommend to you to learn from her teaching by, again, by reading her Story of a Soul, her autobiographical manuscripts, and her Last Conversations. The saints also lead us by their example, right? Not just by their words, but by their deeds. And we're called to follow their examples. And I just gave you six examples of ways we can follow St. Therese's example. And finally, of course, the saints help us out by continuing to intercede for us. They are our heavenly friends. They are in the presence of God. Just as we turn to one another and ask each other for favors and help and charitable support and for prayers, we of course turn to our heavenly friends and ask them for their intercession. And of course, she famously said in her, uh, in her last conversations, je veux passer mon ciel à faire du bien sur la terre. I wish to spend my heaven doing good on earth. That's what she does for us now. So turn to her, ask for her intercession for your intentions because she's spending her heaven doing good on earth. Saint Therese of the Child Jesus, pray for us. Thanks for joining us today, and please remember to subscribe, and if you enjoyed our show, give us a rating on Apple Podcasts. May God bless you.